You're listening to the podcast for Asbury United Methodist Church. Join us every Sunday for worship at 8.30 or 10.45. Find out more at asburybosier.org. Well, good morning. We start a new worship series uh, today. It's called Canoeing the Mountains. Uh, and it's, it's really based in uh, the Lewis and Clark expedition as a metaphor Uh, They were looking for a waterway that would get them from the Mississippi all the way to the Pacific Ocean. Uh, And and what happened? They were taking their canoe and then they found themselves looking at the snow-capped Rockies. (laughs) How do you canoe the mountains? What are you supposed to do with the canoe that got you there but is maybe no longer useful? We start with understanding uncharted territory. Our scripture lesson today is from the book of Genesis, the 12th chapter, beginning with the first verse. It'll be on the screens, uh, it'll be online, and it's also in your Bible. Let us hear the word of the Lord. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those. uh, and, And the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abraham went. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Meriwether Lewis and a small scouting party had gone ahead of the Corps of Discovery to make contact with the Shoshone tribe. Interesting side note is the Shoshone tribe didn't call themselves the Shoshone tribe. They called themselves the Nua, the Nua, which means the people. One thing to always keep in mind when we're reading something historical, when we're looking back at history, is that there are lots of histories, there are lots of stories, and we tend to tell history in a way that benefits us. Uh, Case in point, the Shoshones didn't call themselves that, (laughs) though Lewis and Clark called them that. They were the Noah, the, the people. So always when we're looking at something historical, we have to understand that there's more than one story, and it's important to dig deep in that story, including uh, Lewis and Clark. Their, their story became problematic through their history. Maybe there's more to the story than we learned in elementary school. Nevertheless, they had followed a small trail up a creek And they found themselves at a spring, and that small trickling of water was the source of the Missouri River. That water would eventually flow into the Gulf of Mexico. They had found what no one from Europe had found before, no one from Europe at least, there were already people there. The most challenging obstacle on this journey, looking for this water to the Pacific Ocean, is that it wasn't there. They thought they were going to find a waterway all the way to the Pacific Ocean. They just knew that it was there. But it wasn't. So what do you do when the thing that you are preparing for, the thing that you have been training for, the thing that you have been organizing for, your purpose, ends up being false? When you're looking for a waterway and all you see is mountains, what what do you do? Do you turn around and go back home? 
Do you carry the canoe with you up the Rockies just in case? Do you have the courage to break the canoe apart and to repurpose it for a new terrain and keep moving forward? Now, I'm not what you would call an outdoorsman. I'm glad you're all sitting down uh, uh, for that. You know, it, it was an inside joke. Our visuals team that put together, which is a, a fantastic uh, altar table here, uh, they told me I've been in and out of the office this week at a continuing, continuing education event, and they said, well, there, there's a tent there, but you, Matt, need to put it together, and your man card is at stake. So I am happy to report that, yes, someone else put it together uh, for you this morning. Um, not an outdoorsman. I, I've been camping once. Uh, I've been canoeing once. Uh, I've been spelunking once. Have you ever been spelunking, caving? Have you ever been caving? I went once, and it was in eighth grade, and uh, we took a mystery trip to the Cumberland Caverns. And while we were there, there was an option. They had the regular tour, right, where you look at the big caverns and the stalactites and the stalagmites. And, but they had an optional tour called the Wild Tour. And it was four hours, and you needed a headlamp. And they gave you a little, um, a, a, like a, a cardboard cutout that you had to be able to fit through. And I did, barely. I've never been what you would call a svelte person. I did fit through the little opening. I thought, well, you know, peer pressure is a curious thing. You know, everyone else was doing it. Well, I'll, I'll do it. You know, I'm, I've, I, can, I can handle this. I've got this. So I went on the wild tour. And the, and the tour guide told us, if you happen to get stuck or if there is something that you cannot get past, then just turn around and go back. That's fine. Well, we were about three hours and 45 minutes into the wild tour. I could, lit, I could see the light at the end of the tunnel. And there was this hourglass-shaped portion of, of the cave. And I remember the tour guide saying, when you get to the hourglass pass, you either have to crawl on top or you have to crawl below. You got to pick one. So I'm walking through the hourglass pass. Should I climb up? Should I climb down? Should I climb up? Should I climb down? Should I climb up? Should I climb? Oh, no. And I got stuck. Both of my arms had been pinned to their sides. Now, I was not claustrophobic before, but when you cannot move up or down or left or right, and it's dark, and it's a three, and three hours and 45 minutes into a four-hour tour, and you can see the end of the... What do you do? I got stuck. Thankfully, David Stalvey, who was also in the youth group, um, was standing behind me. And he put his arms up on the hourglass pass and he put his feet in the small of my back and kicked me through this passage. Oh, it's just a fantastic. You wonder why I don't do things like camp and, and crawl in caves. And... <laughs> but we got through, obviously. We're here uh, to tell that story. But in this moment of, moment of indecision, as I'm trying to go through, our, should I climb up, up, uh, up top? Should I climb below? Should I, what, what should I do? Uh, I got stuck and I got paralyzed. Sometimes indecision does that, even though you know what you have to do. I had been well informed to climb above or climb below. I couldn't make a decision. 
and became paralyzed because of it. You know, the year 2020 is this very strange year. I don't have to tell you that. You know that. Uh, every day we seem to be faced with another decision, another thing happening in our world. And it's important, though, for those decisions not to leave us paralyzed or trapped or stuck. Still need to keep moving. That might mean climbing above. That means crawling below. You know, John Wesley said an interesting thing. because He said, are you willing to make yourself more vile for the sake of the gospel? Sometimes you have to crawl in the proverbial mud. You know, every 500 years, there is a great shift that happens in the church. In the first 500 years, uh, beginning with Jesus, and, and Jesus began what's called the way. It wasn't called Christianity at the beginning. It was called the way. Jesus prepared the way. And within those first 500 years, the church went from being underground to being empire. There was a great shift when the church emerged from the caves. And then 500 years after that, there was what's called the Great Schism. Uh, there was the, the Catholic Church and the Orthodox Church. There was a great schism in the church around the year 1000 or so. 500 years after that was the Protestant Reformation, or we call it the Protestant Reformation, being Protestants. Uh, others call it the Greater Schism, uh, depending on which side of that schism you're part of, the Great Fracturing into many denominations. And then 500 years after that is when? Right now. <laughs> right now. There's great movement in the church, and uh, it's been happening for a couple of years now, though the pandemic has increased that and emphasized that and unveiled some things and kind of put it on a front burner. It is certainly unprecedented in our lives, the shift that we're seeing, though it is not unprecedented. We've been through this before. But for us, for we who are living and breathing, it is certainly uncharted territory. What is the church supposed to look like? When, what does it mean to be church when few can gather? What does it all mean? Well, let's start with a faithful assumption. I love this text from Genesis, the calling of Abram, as it's, now, as it's known. Uh, now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. There's an assumption there, and the assumption is that Abram wasn't where he needed to be. Go from your land, go from your kindred, and go to a land that I will show you. There's an assumption that he had to keep moving. Interestingly enough, the verse just before this, at the end of Genesis chapter 11, says, Terah took his son Abram and his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, and they went out together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled. They settled there. In other words, this movement into Canaan, this movement into the promised land, was not a new idea of God's. Abram's family was headed in that direction, but when they got to Haran, or maybe it was Hourglass Pass, when they got to Haran, they stopped. And they settled. Therefore, in the very next verse, God says, Abram, go from your country and your kindred. Keep the story going and go to a land 
that I will show you. The assumption is that this isn't new. God continued to call his family into Canaan. And the faithful part of that assumption is that it was God who was doing the calling. When we think about the church, when we think about canoeing the mountains, when we think about this uncharted territory, there is an assumption that we must assume, we must adhere to. The assumption is we're not yet where we're supposed to be. The faithful part of that assumption is that it is God who is calling us not to settle in Haran, but to keep moving. To keep moving. It is God who is calling us to repurpose the canoe, to keep moving forward. So we begin with a faithful assumption, and then we move on to purpose. As I mentioned, when Lewis and Clark set out, the purpose was to find a waterway from sea to shining sea, so to speak. So what do you do when your purpose has to change when that actually doesn't exist? For Abram, the purpose wasn't just to relocate, (laughs) wasn't just to get to Canaan. What does God say? God God says, I will make a great nation of you. I will bless you, make your name great so that you will be a blessing. So that you will be a blessing for others. God did not say, Abram, I want you to set up shop in the Holy Land so that you yourself will be great and that you yourself will be successful. No, I am sending you out on a purpose so that you may be a blessing to others so that you may be a blessing. So what is our purpose here at Asbury? Now, you good United Methodists uh, who are out there uh, will know that the purpose, uh, the mission of the United Methodist Church is to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. That is the, the, the mission statement of the United Methodist Church, to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. But our mission, our purpose here locally is bringing hope, building faith, and reaching out with love. And the question that I would love for you to ponder as we're looking at this uncharted territory is maybe maybe we need to turn that purpose into a question, bringing hope to whom? Building faith for whom or whose faith? is being built and reaching out with love. Where exactly? Where are we being called? The way that we do church might just look very, very different moving forward. And that purpose statement, which is tried and true, and I think absolutely important, bringing hope, building faith, and reaching out with love, let's just for a moment put a question mark at the end of it, bringing hope to whom? Who do you picture that needs hope? in the world. And let me say this, I don't like dichotomies, meaning you have, meaning that you only have a choice between A and B, right? That's not, but for a moment, let me suspend the rules for a minute. In every situation, you are either a candidate for a miracle or the channel through which that miracle happens. When I say bringing hope, you may be in a good place. You may be full of joy. You may feel very close to God. That is not so much for your benefit. It's so that you can be the conduit through which a miracle happens for someone. To be the hope for someone else. Because there are some of us, uh, hope is uh, a very distant glimmer. 
uh, especially in today's world, people need hope. And maybe that person is you, and that's okay. That's okay. Bringing hope to whom? Building faith. Whose faith are we building? Reaching out with love. Well, where? To whom? It's these days that I'm very, very thankful for ministries in mission like Downtown Friends. Ministries in mission uh, like the, the, the cleaning supply collection for Bossier Elementary. Reaching out with love to whom exactly? Who are we called to be in ministry with? So you need a faithful assumption that God is calling us to be where we currently aren't. And then you have to understand that purpose and that purpose might change over time or at least the way that we share that purpose might change over time. But it doesn't mean much. Those two things don't mean much unless it's followed by action. Scripture lesson ends with, so Abraham went. (laughs) It would be a short story if Abraham said, nah, I'm good. I'll stay in Haran. It's much easier here. It's much more familiar. I'm fine. No, Abraham went. It has to be followed with action. And as we move into this uncharted territory, assuming that you're long for the ride, uh, into this uncharted territory, we have to ask ourselves a question. What is essential for the journey? What is essential for, I tend to be an underpacker. Maybe you're an over, when it, like when you go on vacation or you go somewhere. Uh, I tend to vastly underestimate the items that I need. Uh, and Christy laughs every time. I have this little tiny duffel bag and I have like a, a t-shirt and a change of clothes and flip-flops and, you know, I'm fine. But of course, when I get there, I'm like, wait a minute, where's the iron? No, wait a minute, where's the, where's, where's my razor? Where's my... And Christy tends to be an overpacker. Like we have this, like, just this, like, like you see in the old movies, this big case that you need someone to carry and put in the, in the, in the train. of everything's like, how, baby, how, how long you think we're going to be gone? You know, what, what is, what is essential? What is essential for this journey? Do we have the courage and the discernment to choose what is essential and to hold on to that? What's even harder is to learn and discern and have the courage to let go of what is not essential in our journey. If you bring too much stuff, uh, you'll be slowed down, you'll be bogged down. If you carry the canoe with you up the mountain, you're going to be exhausted and you're gonna give up. The canoe is no longer essential. We need to know what is essential, we need to know what is not essential and we need to trust that, we need to trust that we can tell the difference between the two. And look, we're not always going to get it right. 99 bad ideas get you to the one that changes the world. You just have to, you have to get through. I don't know what bad, I'm probably on bad idea number 78. So I'm, I'm getting closer, right? We don't always get it right. It's not about trying harder. You know, John Wesley, uh, in his life, he was almost obsessive about whether or not he was in a state of grace or a state of sin. As he was writing in his journal, uh, and I think, and, and don't quote me on this, I, th- I think there, there, at, at its worst, like every 15 minutes he would write in his daily journal, journal whether he was in a state of grace or whether he was in a state of sin, and he thought that discipleship was about working harder. You know the saying, don't work harder, work smarter, right? Don't work harder, work... 
that Aldersgate experience that he had, that Christ died for him, even him and his heart was strangely warmed. It's not about working harder. It's not about carrying the canoe faster up the mountain. It's about, it's about letting it go. It's about your heart being strangely warmed. It's about letting go of what is slowing us down on this journey of discipleship. In this book, Canoeing the Mountains, on which the series is based, the author gives uh, three important highlights uh, during this time of going into uncharted territory. First, he says, we're going into an environment where there are no clear answers. It's scary. There are no clear answers. Second, it's necessary for both leaders and followers to learn. A lot of, a lot of pastors especially think that we're the smartest in the room. And that's, I'm glad you're sitting down for that. That's not true. <laughs> It's a time of learning. It certainly is for all of us. And then he says, there is an unavoidable reality that a new solution for a new day will result in some kind of loss. What does that loss look like? I wish I could give you a seven-point bulleted list of what this looks like. And I, I can't. I'm still learning. Though it reminds me of, of my own high school graduation. Uh, my, our, our senior class song was letting, it's a song called Letting Go. Uh, it's from the musical of Jekyll and Hyde. Uh, not my favorite song and not, not my favorite musical. Uh, it's, it's no Hamilton. But we sang Letting Go at graduation. It's so interesting to see the different reaction that people have with this song. For us who are graduates, for we who are graduates, letting go. We were excited about this, right? We were getting wings, right? We were going off to LSU and being on our own and, and figuring out life. And no one, no one was going to tell me what time to come home anymore. For, for, for my parents, however, a bit of a different experience, this letting go thing. After they moved me into LSU, I remember my mom weeping as we hugged and said goodbye to each other. Though I could be wrong about it. I could be misremembering history. They could have been doing a jig after I walked out of the house. They could have been finally, you know, uh, though I was the firstborn, so the jig wasn't too, too tall. There were two others to follow, <laughs> to, to follow. We all remember history in a way that benefits us. So I remember my parents grieving that I was leaving and uh, they may have done a celebratory dance after I left, but letting go. Are we courageous enough to let go? The hardest part of love is letting go. We begin with a faithful assumption that God is calling us into uncharted territory. Don't worry, God is going with us. Jesus has already paved the way. I love how God says, I will show you the land to which I am pointing. God is calling us to go into uncharted territory, not for the sake of Asbury, for Asbury to be the best and the brightest and the most fantastic church on the planet, though it's not a bad thing. God is calling us into this uncharted territory to be a blessing for others. To be a blessing for others. And maybe even those who might not ever set foot on campus here. Hmm. We move we trust, we listen, we learn. We won't always get it right, but God is on the move. And I pray that we have faith 
to follow. More on that next week. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Let us pray. Gracious God, in your mercy, you have taken a risk with us, your people, giving us purpose, giving us the power of resurrection and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. So, Father, give us the courage to follow. Help us to ask questions. Fill us with humility as we look toward the land that you will show us, as we look to the people that you will place in our path, as we reevaluate the history that we have learned, as we look to your word for the way in which we are called to serve. Father, be with us. We need you as we look to this new terrain. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.